How is everyone doing tonight? Good. Okay, we got one shout. Good to be back in our lovely fellowship hall. I miss this place, you know, it's a gem. But yeah, guys, so my name is Drake. I'm the uh, director of Salt Company here at Salt St. Paul, and I'm rocking the new Salt St. Paul shirt tonight, as well as the rest of the staff, we're like matching perfectly. So if you want to get one of those, those are in the back. But I just want to welcome you to the Salt Company. We've been going through a series called The Foundations, where we walk through God, man, Jesus. And now we're going to be talking about the hope that we have in Christ. And so if you want to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, if you don't have a Bible, grab one of the ones under the seat around you, and you can turn to 568 in that Bible. And again, If you don't have a Bible yourself, that is our gift to you. Feel free to take that home. But the main point of tonight, the big idea is that we are made alive in Christ. That we are made alive in Christ and in Christ alone. But here's the problem. We chose to run away from Christ himself. We chose to run away from the source of life himself. And now we are in a culture that says, how do you determine truth? You determine it yourself. Like what is true for you is true for you. And what's true for me is true for me. But no one else has any reason or opportunity to correct what I think is true. Because that's what I think is true. But what happens if we are the ones who are in charge of determining truth, what happens if we are broken? Ephesians 2 is going to address why we are not able to choose what will bring us joy and what will bring us life. So let's look at the text. Ephesians 2, verse 1, and we're starting out. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. First point, we are dead in sin. So why, why does the Bible use this language to describe who we are? Like calling us dead, it seems, seems a little bit harsh, doesn't it? Like you're probably sitting in the audience like, Drake, I mean, I mess up in certain areas, but I'm, I'm not all that bad. Or if you look at the world around us and how broken it is, you would realize that I am nowhere near how broken that world is. I don't feel like I'm all that bad. But what the Bible does in this text is it actually gives us a very real explanation of our own brokenness that is in us and that's in the world today. It says that we are dead. And so while we are still living physically, we are dead in our soul. Why is that? The reality is that we were made as people to live with and enjoy the presence of God. But yet... We sinned, and that sin separated us from God himself, the the source of life himself. We had become separated from, which makes us unable to find it. And the, the compass of our heart is now broken. 
where it was designed to know right exactly to find life, which is God himself. It is now broken and made us confused to think that we can actually find it in this world. That this world is the path to life, but in reality, there's no hope to find in it. It says that we are now led by the passions of our flesh. What does that mean? Another word for passions here is it says the lust of our heart is what we are now determining what we run after. We are now running after temporary pleasures of this world, hoping that they have eternal implications hoping that these temporary pleasures will last forever. I mean, look at your own life. How many people in this room believe that if they had this one guy, if they had this one girl, or if they watched this next video online, it would solve the hurt of their loneliness? Or that they would be appreciated and valued if they got the approval from another person? But I wanna ask you, you look at the last one and you realize it didn't do it for you then. Or you'll come to meet this person and it's real quick that the honeymoon phase ends, real quick that you you realize this person's a little more messed up than I thought and you realize they didn't do it like like you thought they would. Or maybe it's alcohol giving you an ability to ease your mind the ability to have fun and get rid of all the hurt that's going on in your life, but then you realize it just makes the problem even more complicated because it doesn't actually deal with the heart of the problem at all. Or maybe it's a test that you are putting all of your time into studying and trying to get the perfect grade so you can get the perfect job so that you can have security in this life. But what happens when you take that test? There's another test and another test and another time that you'll have to prove yourself. And there will be a time that you won't measure up. Or if we think about, man, just all the things that we want to buy. The hilarious thing is that we forget that all the things we currently have were once a thing that we desperately wanted to have joy. And the things that we currently have are just going to be objects of future garage sales yet we run after buying different things. And the reality is that everything that we pursue in this life is only going to continually remind us of how it can't provide for us the life that we thought it would. But some of you might be thinking, but Drake, I feel like my life is going amazing. Like I look at stories of people who aren't following Christ and they have all the joy, they have all the riches, they have all of the power, like, I want to be like that. Like, my desire is to live it up here while I can, to just have some fun living young and wild and free. That is the song of this generation, that we would live it up and experience the pleasures of this world. That might be you, and you might be experiencing that. But in this text, Paul wants to point out something out of love for us. He wants us to know that there will be a day where God will make everything good and right and true. That everything that we love about this world, he's actually going to make perfect. But in order to make everything good and right and true, 
He has to remove from this world all of the brokenness and all of the evil that exists in it. The world itself and those who pursue after the world as well. Those who walk in the disobedience of their flesh. He, he has to do away with in order to make this perfect reality. And verse three tells us, that the result of running after our passions, the result of running after this world is that we become children of wrath, that we become recipients of God's wrath, not receiving life like we thought this world would give us. So imagine with me that you're with me on a dock and what I am doing is that I am trying to convince you to come aboard the Titanic. So we've got the beautiful Titanic behind us, and we've got the ocean that just goes for as far as your eyes can see, and I'm trying to convince you, hey, you've got to ride this ship. The one difference is you all know what happens to the Titanic. And so I'm trying to convince you, like, hey, guys, this is a work of art. Like, this is an amazing ship. It is an unsinkable ship. And you're like, what's the name of it again? Oh, Titanic? Yeah, I'm good. I'll I'll pass. But I'm like, no, like, you guys don't get it. Like, there's the best food in the world on this boat. There is the best bands. There's the best shows. There's the best dance parties. There's the best opportunities for different activities with all these people. There is so many opportunities to just live it up while you're on this boat. So you're like, okay, that's convincing. Let me think about it. And you're pondering like, man, this, this ride sounds amazing. Like, I just, I kind of want to see what's on this boat. But then you come back to reality and you're like, hey, Drake, here's the thing. I'm not getting on that boat. I know where that boat's going. It's going straight to that iceberg. And to be honest, I don't want to go there today. I'm going to pass. Like no one in here is being like, that person's insane. Why would they have that answer? You're all like, this is exactly what we would choose. But yet from the beginning of time, Satan has been convincing people to live it up while they're here on this earth, to live it up in their four years in college, when ultimately it leads to becoming a child of wrath, receiving the wrath of God. Like that is what Satan is trying to bring people to. And here's the crazy reality. That's the path that we all chose. We decided to leave the source of life and start running after the world, thinking that we would find life somewhere else. And so when we look at the scripture, the issue isn't, man, the Bible has a really pessimistic view of who we are as people. The issue is that we don't understand the depth of our brokenness before a holy holy God, and that in order for God to make all things perfect, he has to remove the brokenness in this world, and that includes us. He levels the playing field by saying, this is all of our story in this room. All of us have fallen short. All of us are children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And if this is the case, who are we to even try to give a great attempt of being right before God on our own? Like, we can't just say, hey, I'm going to clean up my act. I'm going to, you know, wipe my life of suffering. I'm going to stop drinking. I'm going to stop sleeping around. I'm going to stop listening to explicit music. Whatever crazy things we think that we need to do in order to be right before a holy God. Or I'm going to start coming to Salt Company more. 
I'm gonna go to connection group and then I will be a better person and will be right with God. That is the furthest thing from the truth. We don't understand that we are completely dead. That there is no desire in our heart to even long for God. And if this is the state of our brokenness, how do we receive life with God again? Let's look back at the text. It says in verse four, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. The second point tonight is that we are alive in Christ. That though this is who you were, though your sin is the only thing you were able to bring before God, that's not where you have to stay. Because we see that God's mercy is far greater than any sin that we can bring before him. Our sin makes us unable to make it right with God on our own. But what does the text say? That God is the one who had to make you alive with Christ. And that is exactly what he did if you put your faith in him. That there is no sin so great. That there is no person too far gone from the grace of God that can't be brought back in. A lot of times we can think our sin is what disqualifies us to have a relationship with God. But in reality, it is actually what qualifies us to receive his mercy. To see his grace on display that though we were children of wrath, that's who we deserve to be. He sent his own son, his own child, to be the recipient of his wrath so that we didn't have to. The joy of the Christian life is that there has to be an answer to how is my brokenness going to be dealt with. And 2,000 years ago, our brokenness was already dealt with on the cross. That the evil that kept us from God and that separated us from his presence has been punished already on his very own son and Jesus became sin so that we didn't have to. Which if we look back through the first part of the text again, the incredible reality is that it's all in the past tense. Like you were a child of God or you were a child of wrath. You were following after the world. You were running after the pleasures of your heart, but that is not who you are anymore. Now, life is able to be restored to us. Now, we, there's a way for us to be the people that we were made to be, which is to experience life with God. We were unable to be fully human because our souls were dead, but yet now we can be ourselves again for the very first time. So one of the most devastating scenes in a movie of all time has to be in uh, Space Jams when the NBA players lose their talent. So I hope you've seen this movie. If you haven't, I'm so sorry. But there's this moment where these aliens come in. Sounds really weird. And Charles Barkley gets his talent removed from him. And then Charles, you know, doing what he does, he's roaming around the street, sees a game going on in the park. He's like, hey, I'm going to jump in. They go nuts. And so he joins in and he cannot do a thing. Kind of reminded me of Colin on the court. Um, But, so Charles can't do a thing and it leads up to this moment where it's like, you're not Charles Barkley. You're just a wannabe that looks like him. Be gone. So then he kind of like mopes off because the reality is that Charles Barkley was not able to play the game like Charles Barkley does. 
Like he was unable to be himself, which then got him kicked off this court. But then the movie ends with the crescendo of them beating these little aliens. And then the ball gets brought back in and Charles puts his hand on the ball and the talent that he had was restored to him. So now Charles was able to play the game like Charles Barkley does. He was able to be himself again. Now guys, what this text is saying and a weird connection to the movie Space Jams is that when Christ raised from the grave, he then restored life back to you. You were unable to get it on your own, but yet Christ gave it back to you so that you could truly be yourself again. Because to truly be ourselves means that we have to be brought back into relationship with God. And that is exactly what Christ did. When he was raised to new life, he raised us up with him as well. And so truly experiencing life, not only physically, but also in the deepest parts of our soul. So what does experiencing restored life look like? So the reality was that there was a time that those who were not following Christ had no other choice but to sin. Like though we knew it was not good for us, it wasn't the best for us, we still did it. It makes me think of those 10 seconds between a Netflix show where you're like, man, I know this would be really bad for me to do this, but I'm gonna do it. Like I'm gonna watch the next episode and you just get hooked. That is how we were with sin. So what does this look like for me? And guys, just to be real with you, uh, a large portion of my life, beginning in the fourth grade, I was addicted to pornography. It was something that my mind constantly told me, I need to watch this in order to be happy. I need this in order to find satisfaction. I need this in order to gain approval. But guys, we know that's not at all what it brings. Like studies show that all it brings is anxiety. It adds depression to your life. It adds a lack of passion to fight for whatever goals you have in life. Not even to mention the brokenness that is in the industry itself. Guys, for a long time, I was operating as if I was still enslaved to this sin. Like, like I believe like there was this chain around my ankle and I didn't even notice that the latch was undone that I could flee from this sin because now that we are alive with Christ, I have the opportunity to run to him and operate off of his strength in my life. Like I know I'm weak, I know I'm corrupt, but I get to go to him, the one that conquered death and the one that conquered the grave and who can conquer this in my life. I got to run to him and when I saw the beauty of Christ, I also got to see that he provides the satisfaction and the joy that my heart was longing for. It wasn't just stop doing this thing, but look at how much more you have in store in Christ. And so Jesus provided a way for me to operate as I was made to be, to find satisfaction and to find joy and approval from him. And though it was and still is a process to fight it, I now know who is walking right alongside me. I know who is the one that I can run to to experience life. What is it for you though? 
What is the, the thing that you feel like you cannot remove from your life? What is the one thing that you have in your mind that if I had this one thing, life would be good? Or what is the, the hope of a future that you have crafted in your mind that you think I need this to take place in order for me to have joy in this life? What is it for you? Because I want you to know that Jesus offers you life to the full. That you don't have to run around looking for counterfeit versions of life in this world, but you can go to the source. You can go to God himself. And that is what he is welcoming you back into. But then I know in my own heart, I wrestle with, how can I be sure that I'll be with God for eternity? Like I've been following Jesus for a while now and there's still, I just see day after day, so much brokenness in my heart, so much sin that comes to the surface. And I'm, at times I'm like, am I going to be able to make it to the end? Like, am I gonna be able to keep following Jesus for the rest of my life? There is so much brokenness still in my heart. How do we deal with that? And that brings us to point three, that we are seated in heaven already. Let's break that down. So verse six, let's go back actually to five. It says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Guys, what this is saying is that at the same time that we were raised to new life with Christ, at that moment, we were raised to be seated with God for eternity. Like both of those are in the past tense. Like those realities have already happened for us, but then we have to ask, like, how is this so? Like, it's pretty obvious we're not there yet. How can we already be there? So one of my favorite things about moving up to Minneapolis already is all of the incredible concerts that come through this area. So guys, I feel like I'm looking up, I have to have like a separate budget for all of the shows. Cause I mean like Bon Iver's in town tonight. There's Band Camino, Post Malone was in town. Like all these amazing shows. I just love live concerts. It's probably my top 10 of life, but there's incredible venues and you get in those shows that everyone knows every single word to and you're just belting it out together and there's this amazing experience. And so I have already gone to a couple. I wanted to go to see John Mayer. That was just kind of a bucket list item. And then I wanted to see Ban Camino. But at what moment was my excitement growing at a more rapid pace? When I bought the tickets. Because when I bought the tickets, I was like, I am going to this show. Like, I am going to see John Mayer. I'm going to see Ban Camino. It is going to be amazing. My seats are reserved at this show. Guys, what Jesus is saying to us, what Paul is saying to us in this passage is that Jesus has already reserved your seats in heaven if you are in Christ. That you, though now get to get a glimpse of God, you will experience him to the full in eternity. Those spots are already reserved for you. And we know that because he already dealt with all of your brokenness on the cross. 
the sins that you have in your past, the ones that you committed today, the ones that you're going to do tomorrow. He knew all of those when he went to the cross and he took it all upon himself. And he says that now your spot is reserved. I have bought your tickets to the kingdom of God with my blood. So we can know with certainty if we put our faith in Christ that we will be with him one day in eternity. And so I wanted to spend a little time just looking towards that day. So if you wanna flip or just look at the screens, Revelation chapter 21, verses one through seven, goes like this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who has seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. When when he says the one who conquers, he's talking about those who are in Christ. Like the reality that Jesus has conquered death for us and now in a way we have conquered it with him and that we will experience like if you're in Christ, this is your future hope. Like written in stone, this is what your eternity will be. There's no opportunity for anything to take that away. There's no greater thing that you can do or even greater way to mess up that can make God love you any more or less than he does right now because of what Christ did on the cross for you. This is your future reality and you can have certainty that your seats will be reserved. So guys, I just want you to think about heaven for a little bit. Like ponder, what will it be like for there not to be an ounce of sin in our heart? Like we won't have any little bit of pride or selfishness and we will do all things to the glory of Jesus, which when we do that, we will experience joy to the fullest. Guys, there won't be any brokenness in relationships. Like we're going to dwell in perfect harmony with everyone that we come alongside. And with how much brokenness we see in this world, how much division we see amongst people, it's hard for us to imagine, but we will see every human being with the dignity, value, and worth that they deserve as an image bearer of God. Guys, Words like anxiety, depression, and worry won't even be in our vocabulary. Like, 
We won't even understand that reality because our future will always be full of ever-increasing joy. That we will continually grow more and more joyful as we discover more and more of who God is. And as we celebrate together, as we roam this world and explore this world together, we will do that with a heart of joy. We'll never be jealous of someone else for their own accomplishments, but we'll actually celebrate everyone for what they do because we will be content at every moment with everything that we have. Though this is tough for us to understand, that is your future hope. That is what a living hope looks like. Satan promises all of us that the temporary pleasures of this world will satisfy, but they are temporary. They will run out. You will leave yourself finding that you need more and more and more to satisfy your heart. But what Jesus is offering you is he's saying, I wanna give you a hope that actually comes through with what it promises. I wanna give you a hope that will actually satisfy your soul. And so if you have not put your faith in Christ, guys, I wanna give you that opportunity tonight. There is nothing you need to do to make yourself right with God because you are, it is impossible for you to do it on your own. All you need to do is come to Jesus with brokenness, realizing that you have no chance of being made right before him and that you desperately need him in your life. You need Jesus as your savior. And what he will do, he won't look upon you with shame He won't look upon you with anger. He's going to have open arms of love saying, come experience what true life is like. Let's pray. Father, we, God, even tonight as I preach, I just realize I'm broken. God, I... There's so much sin and corruption in my heart, but thanks be to God that you sent your son to be the perfect sacrifice in my place. That God, I would have been digging this endless, I would have been in this hole trying to dig my way out and just digging the hole deeper and deeper and making it more and more impossible to actually be with you because there is no way for me to do it on my own. But Jesus, you came down and said that you were going to provide a way. And so Jesus, help us to see that you're not calling us to follow a list of rules. You're not saying stop doing these great things in your life, but that you're welcoming us into true life. That you're not looking at us with anger. You're not looking at us with frustration. But God, that was a face that you looked at your own son with that you looked at Jesus and poured out your wrath so that we didn't have to be recipients of that. God, help us to not run after this world and help us to run back to the true source of life. Amen.